The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome, welcome back to the Forum Book Club. We're Vivian Dudo, myself, Father Fessler, and Joseph Pierce continue to discuss Henri uh, Rubach's uh, classic, modern classic, the drama of Asian humans. Last session, we actually finished on the end of the chapter. Uh, let's see what we can do this time as we begin chapter three, positive, positivist transpositions. Previous chapter was about the alliance that he sought with the Catholic Church uh, as an instrument of promoting the final status of civilization, namely the positivist order. So let's see how the transpositions take place. Joseph? Well, yes, at the top of page 216, again, I I like there's an irony, uh, a droll irony, I think, in Henri de Lubac's voice here. He says, then, speaking of Comte, then the new Aristotle, so the philosopher, had changed into a new St. Paul, so uh, basically a religious zealot, in order to complete the edifice. Quote, I have systematically devoted my life, he says, in the Systeme de Politique Positive, to making real science ultimately provide the necessary basis for the sound philosophy according to which I should then build up the true religion. So we have an evolution here. Real science leads to sound philosophy, which leads to true religion. This is where this positivism is going. And I would like to back up, if I may, to the very first page of the chapter where de Lubach points out that this alliance that Comte wants to create to bring about his true religion was intended to be purely temporary. He thought it expedient because he no longer hoped that the triumph of his own church at any rate among the masses was as near as he had at first predicted. And I would just like to editorialize that every time people outside the church try to co-opt the church for their own purposes, for them, it's a temporary phase. Whatever that, you know, think about concordats with Mussolini or Hitler or any, any of these attempts to co-opt the church. Ultimately, the end is to destroy the church and replace it with this regime having total power. And so thankfully, as we pointed out in the last chapter, Dulubach said this temptation will come again and again, but that it won't in the end, the church will, because of the Holy Spirit, will not uh, be prevailed upon. But it's important to know that that temptation is a perennial temptation uh, on the part of people seeking power to use the church and on the part of people inside the church to seek a legitimization on the part of the powers that be that want to use the church for their own ends. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, I, I, I do love, and I mean, this is you know such a we might say a dry topic that I do like the Lubeck's droll sense of humor. So even the first part of this, the true Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> right. Positivism. Positivism, according to the true Catholicism. 
on page 219, three lines down, according to Kant, the new Catholicism is modeled on the old. The church had her sacraments. Skipping a couple lines, positive has its rights to consecrations or social sacraments. And he says, there are nine of these sacraments in positive, including one that is received after death. Mm -hmm. That's a, That's an innovation. Right. Yes, he, he, so the transposition that's happening here is, you know, for everything that the Catholic Church offers its flock, he's going to transpose that with something of his own invention that resembles it, uh, but is actually emptying it of all of its original meaning. Well, only leaves God out. That's all. Yeah, just leaves God out. Well, big, who, no big deal, right? Including a, a liturgical calendar with saints, the, the, the cults of saints prayers, all of this is spelled out in the next few pages of all the things he's going to make, make yeah, a switcheroo. This sort of, you know, he, this sort of as, as Delubach says, again, perhaps broadly, um, this, this process of incorporation after death, uh, which may rather be compared with canonization. I mean, in fact, it is, in fact, I think canonization is secular canonization. These people will be immortalized as heroes it's going right back to paganism, right? You build statues of them all over the place. You put them on the calendar. And so, you know, if you're, if you're a good servant of the positivist religion, you will be immortal, not in the sense of going to heaven, but in the sense of being remembered and revered. Yeah, I'm going to jump way ahead to the conclusion of everything here. That's fine. Just, for one, just one little sentence. 266 at the bottom, with the little box says here, Cohen's spiritual itinerary is that of man himself. Lost faith cannot long remain unreplaced. You know, you, you leave out God, something, some idol is going to take God's place. That's right. Yeah, but, it, but Father, going right back 46 pages, you see it, the top of page 220, he's talking about um, uh, that, that man becomes, quote, a veritable organ of the great being, capital G and capital B. I mean, what on earth is the great being if we're not allowed to believe in God? Is it Compt? Or if it's not Compt, is it humanity in some humanity, sort of... Humanity, yes. Abstract, it's humanity. Abstract, the abstract deity, the great being. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think, Chesson referred to that as similar to uh, being on a crowded tram, as he would say. Humanity. It's just <laughs> a, a amorphous mass all around you. Uh, I have something on page 229. Anybody before that? Just go for it. All right, the last part of that paragraph at the top. Apart from all questions of doctrine, this is Judah Bach speaking, one cannot take seriously the musings of a man who never understood a word of the gospel and who sank deeper every day into the monstrous egocentricity, the crude and lacrimose consolations to which Cote innocently abandoned himself in his sanctuary cannot be taken for genuine spirituality. Mm -hmm. yep. Here's this the... Is, uh, so this is the yeah, telling it out how it is, basically. That, that's mm -hmm. some summary at the end. Now, this is a this is a madman, egocentric, narcissistic madman. Mm -hmm. And here's uh, the, the, the Delubach exercising that discernment that he says needs to be, when we're dealing with these uh, intellectual... Uh, systems or ideologies, you know, there's an intellectual discernment. Mm -hmm. You have to go through and think about it and 
But then there's the spiritual discernment, right? That's what he said in the previous part of this book with respect yeah, to... If, if we can go back perhaps to 224, um, just to the footnote there, because this I think is very interesting and it has that this wonderful phrase, moral eunuch. Um, so this is somebody writing about Comte in a, in a pejorative way, in a negative way, I should say. Comte is a man whom the exclusive culture of scientific ideas has reduced to a true degradation. He is a moral eunuch. Mm. All feeling, all poetry, which is to say all manifestation of feeling, is something he has completely disregarded, or rather that is completely unknown to him. Now, this whole div- a, a moral eunuch, not only is it a good phrase, um, a, a powerful poetic phrase, but um, it's really, I think, also a, a description of many of the worst psychopaths right is that they, they they actually have no moral compass they have no moral uh, feeling no moral emotion they, they therefore can do hideous horrible things dispassionately because they they they're morally impotent yeah it's a strange thing uh we all have a moral sense in it we have we can't be human without it and yet it seems kind of be submerged in something i remember years ago uh, hearing a confession of a young woman who was from a good family and actually lived a pretty good life. But she, uh, this priest kind of seduced her. And so she was, you know, spending time in his rectory bedroom. And she confessed it, but not as, you know, it wasn't like it was something really serious. It was, she, she didn't feel any moral seriousness about that, even though she did come to confession. But it just seemed like, for whatever reason, there was a color blindness almost, you know? Uh, she could see some things, but couldn't see others. So it, it happens. A, a desensitization, which is, of course, dangerous, right? When you something becomes so habitual, you no longer see it as being anything unusual and therefore nothing too, uh, too much of an aberration, right? If you do it all the time, uh, we, we excuse ourselves for it. Uh, I want to jump back to 229, unless there's something in between. The second section is called The Priesthood of the Scientist, which is a good good uh, description here. Uh, Dulebach says, so far, the only the most general of the transpositions from Catholicism has been considered. Uh, but there are two others that complete it, although he divides it into three here. Uh, a form of worship, a dogma, and a regime. In other words, it has poetry, it's philosophy, and it's politics. Those are the three transpositions you're going to talk about. Uh, well, here's where on page 232, you mentioned that thing I, I brought up before about the specialization of science, a new paragraph there. But what type of scientist would be worthy to belong to such a priesthood? Bottom of that. Well, pay- keep going. Okay. Comp never cared for empty learning. See, this is this dismissal of. The theoretical pursuit of knowledge just for its own sake, uh, which is what the pure sciences are. And he has no time for that because that's just empty learning. And or another quote from him, cloudy erudition that contents itself with mechanically accumulating facts and which is equally fitted to serve the most contradictory opinions. Well, that is right. When people are, you know, you might have run into someone with a different theory from your own. And now you anyway, he just can't. Abide that. Uh, the, the irony is that, as I understood it from our early discussions of, of, of Comte's philosophy and positivism, was it was building a philosophy which um, uh, denied the existence of metaphysics 
Um, uh, in other words, that empiricism and, and, and scientific materialism uh, were the only building blocks upon which any truth could be built. And they, yet he seems to outgrow that and sort of like a Saturn V rocket jettisons the very thing that got him into orbit. Um, and yeah, so, so the next sentence there, the true positive spirit, as he conceives it, is at bottom just as far removed from empiricism as from mysticism. So he seems to have no real connection with the very, very ladder by which he's climbed. And that's a brilliant expression, the fact that he, he, he rejects uh, what he sees as wrong in empiricism, being too specialized. And he rejects mysticism, which is a transcendent, basically. And in the middle is what? Something's going to take the place of the mysticism, which is humanity and him as and he as the uh, pontiff of them all. At the bottom, a couple more lines down, he blames quote, the exaggerated intellectual narrowness that comes from an empirical specialization. And that is true. But what he says on page 233, about 10 lines down, the aim in view should be systematic generality. <laughs> Analysis should be subordinated to synthesis as progress is to order and egoism to altruism. At bottom, the whole thing should be one single science, namely human, or rather social science. Social science. There it is. There it is. That's how we have departments of social science on every university campus. That's where it came from. But look how scary that is, that basically all analysis, in other words, all reason, is subject to synthesis, which is, the, is again, it's the inversion, perversion, and reversion of the whole Hegelian thing, right? Where you're using reason, you have a thesis, then you have an antithesis, and then you come to a synthesis. Well, now basically you get to a synthesis. This is the final synthesis. We will have no more theses uh, and antitheses. This, this is this synthesis, and all future reasoning, all future analysis, is subject to this final synthesis to which we've at which we've arrived. Right? Which, that's, you know, right. that's absolute the ideological tyranny and totalitarianism right. of the 20th century encapsulated. That's right. But ironically, on 233, he wants the scientists to be. This is the uh, top of the second paragraph. To be a man with an encyclopedic mind. Well, I thought you just said you didn't want all these, you know, this detail, this clutter, you know, with. No, I guess he's going to handpick the details that are important to. Yeah, the encyclopedia, the encyclopedia will be the positivist catechism. That's the right. encyclopedia. Right. And you can't read anything, can't read anything other than that. But again, Seven you know, facts themselves, uh, you know, mathematical quantities uh these have to we have to exercise our faculty of judgment to decide of all of this litter of facts what's really important and and what what's the hierarchy of value that they have and what is all of this knowledge to be in the service of in the first place but to god so you take that out now you're just going to have an arbitrary selection of facts okay what does this sound like it's going to be settled science. We're going to arbitrarily pick the facts that fit our program. Anyone who makes any questions or complaints about it is antisocial by definition, going to be canceled, right? You, you can, you, like what you just said, Joseph, this is exactly the totalitarian ideological mindset that yeah. we're up against, even it's now. It's as if Trump is putting the template in place, which will lead to the murder of millions of people several decades later. 
We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Show your support for Discerning Hearts by liking and leaving positive reviews on your favorite streaming platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more, with a collection of insightful podcasts led by renowned Catholic spiritual guides, such as Father Timothy Gallagher, Monsignor John S.F., Dr. Anthony Lillis, and more. Discerning Hearts is your gateway to a deeper understanding of discerning life's mysteries and growing deeper in your relationship with Christ. Your likes and reviews not only affirm the value these podcasts bring to your spiritual journey, but also help others discover the guidance and inspiration they seek. Share your thoughts, spread the word, and be part of a community that's committed to elevating hearts and minds through meaningful conversations. Your feedback fuels our mission to help others climb higher and go deeper in their spiritual growth. Like, review, and let your voice be a beacon of light for fellow seekers on this spiritual journey. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. Well, this on page 234 in the middle, this is what I mentioned before. Uh, he talks about the aridity that is characteristic of science only in its academic degeneration when dispersive particularity hampers aesthetic culture and the moral urge. Genuine science, on the other hand, establishes a double synthesis, first between the various branches of intellectual research and then between poetry and philosophy. Well, it's true that genuine philosophy would seek to find the hierarchy of sciences uh, and show where aesthetics are part of human anthropology and therefore where poetry fits in. That's what true philosophy would do. But he substitutes for true philosophy uh, a kind of mechanistic social synthesis of all these dispersed facts with no principle except his own ego. Right. And so this is the, 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 the reason why we call totalitarianisms that expression because of the word total. So these men who presume to be able to see the whole, right? And now they're going to impose their view of the whole on everybody else. 
but it can't help but be reductionist because no human being on earth can see the whole. You know, that that's why our knowledge is in fragments. Yeah, who wouldn't like to see the whole thing? Well, when we get to heaven, even then, we won't be able to, we're, you know, God is so beyond us. We're going to spend eternity reaching the whole, I guess. I don't which know. Is but, why, which is why we should not trust politically or philosophically anybody who doesn't trust mystery, right? If, 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 if someone hates mystery and we have to get beyond all mystery to some totality, yes. which is in, encapsulated in the human mind, that person is, is leading himself and others to destruction. Because it can't help but be reductionist. It can't help but be reductionist. So what does that do? Oh, the man doesn't fit in this bed? Then we have to chop off his head and chop off his feet and make him fit. And <laughs> it's true what you, Joseph said that, uh, you know, this leaves out the transcendent in God. It also leaves out the cross. That's so right. The, the two main pillars of Christianity Trinitarian God, incarnation, and redemption through the cross are still rejected by him. He wants to have a utopia where there's no cross and no God, just us. Oh, by the way, and I'm in charge. That's right. And his priesthood is on 235, to spell this out even more. This priesthood, uh, uh, in the middle of that graph on 235, in all things, this is the total, right? In all things, it will decide what should be thought. Man's understanding will be subjected to it. In the positive regime, in fact, there can be no more question of free thought or of freedom of conscience. Just look at these attempts at uh, lawmaking going, in our own, going on in our own country, taking away from doctors the freedom of conscience not to perform or to perform certain procedures or certain medicines, or whatever. I mean, there is an all-out attack on freedom of conscience in medicine in this country going on right now. And this is the Lubach's thesis for this whole book, the drama of atheist humanism, namely, if you leave out God, you destroy man. That's right. Because here's the, the very thing that's being done here is everything which is truly human, freedom of thought, freedom of choice, freedom of conscience, is being subjected to some abstraction. And Delubach kind of sums this up on page 237, sums up this section, actually, uh, the bottom there. Furthermore, there's nothing now to fear from complete subordination of the reason to faith, because according to Kant, it's a kind of faith, but you could actually prove it if you had to, but most of them aren't capable, so they have to submit themselves. It is tantamount to that of the mind to the heart. That is to say, it subordinates personal to social instincts, or more briefly, man to humanity with a capital H. And then Delubach asks the question, can humanity be a tyrant? Ooh. And that's the next chapter is spiritual destiny. So where does this lead when you suppress man's freedom of conscience, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, that, that question, can humanity be a tyrant, it should be an essay prompt, really, because, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an abstract concept itself can't be a tyrant, but those who subject themselves to the abstract con uh, concept can become and do become tyrants. That's the, that's the way I would ask it. If, if someone sent me an essay prompt anyway. Yes. Well, and yeah, humanity can't be a tyrant because abstractions can't do anything. Right. But if you claim to be the sole reliable exponent of humanity, mm -hmm. well, then, of course, you will be a tyrant. And you can certainly, yeah, humanity is the, is the totality. Of course, you can sacrifice people on the altar of humanity, right? And on 241, DeLubach points out that it all... 
The purge was beginning, Dulubak says, meaning Comte was already threatening to, quote unquote, unmask his false adherence. You know, already the purge was beginning. So this wasn't even something that was going to be saved for later. Comte was already beginning in his own circles to weed out, you know, weed out the unbelievers or the people who aren't the true believers anyway. Yeah. On 239, about six lines down, uh, he's quoted, quote is, the social order will always be incompatible with permanent freedom to reopen at will an indefinite discussion of the Ray Foundation Society so that systematic tolerance cannot exist and it's never really existed except in connection with opinions regarded as indifferent or doubtful. So it'll never be right in the bottom of the page. In short, the positive faith is open to not open to abuses because it is always demonstrable. But people cannot demand that it should be demonstrated here and now. So we've come to the truth, we brilliant ones. We take, take, the, take our, yeah, take our word for it. Yeah. Or you'll be shocked. That's right. Uh, again, I mean, this quote, I'm, I'm backtracking again to 238, the beginning of this section, that, that, that block quote there, indented quote by Mr. Jean Lacroix, um, competent men are so far ahead of the masses that all sorts of political and social catastrophes have time to happen before the latter have reached a positive stage. Mm-hmm. Besides, the community as a whole must always lag behind the elite. Mm-hmm. So here we have, you know, something which is sociological and in some sense sort of socialist uh, and certainly secular humanist, which is also elitist. And again, that also is very much what we have now, right? Where basically the, 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 the socialists used to be, and I think authentically, certainly in British history, was the working class. The Labour Party was a, was a, was a, was a, a political organisation begun by the working class in order to give the working class, to enfranchise the working class politically. Uh, but now we see the elites have completely and utterly hijacked the machine yeah. um, and treat the masses with complete contempt. So a word like populism has become a swear word. You know, heaven forbid that, 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 that a member of the elite should be popular. <laughs> you know, that people might actually like him or he might be speaking for them. You know, so this is just really... Yeah, so this this systematic elitism as now the voice of the people, right? And yes, so we must listen to the experts and suppress any opinions that are different from those of the self-appointed experts. That's right. And we, these experts, we see it now, cannot tell that what's in a woman's woman is a human being, or can't tell what sex a person is, or whether there are only two sexes, they're the experts. We're trying, if you can't figure those things out, I don't want to hear your, your opinions on taxation or foreign policy. You know? Well, what did uh, with the famous line by William F. Buckley, he'd rather be ruled by the first 20 people randomly chosen out of the phone book than by the faculty of Harvard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's again. So Chesterton's uh, essay, "The Twelve Men," right? That anything really important has to be left left to twelve people picked at random, i.e., a jury. Right. You know, Same idea. Life, don't trust the experts. Trust the ordinary man in the street. That's right. He'll tell you what a woman is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, have nothing until two forty six. Well, two forty three. Just another chilling line from Delubach. 
uh, in the 242, I mean, in the middle, all will owe absolute obedience in deed, thought, and heart. You won't own anything, but she'll be happy. Yeah. And you'll thank us for it. Yeah. Because after all, cockroaches are actually more nutritious than steaks. Especially and, the ones with heat sensitive yeah, antenna. Right. <laughs> or crickets. I guess it's crickets now. Crickets. We're using crickets for protein now to save the planet. Uh, Joseph, anything before 246? Uh, no, I haven't. So, four lines down, there was no admission for anything that did not bow to that subjective synthesis, which by a close coordination between the reality of speculations and their utility came to constitute the only, quote, true positivity, close quotes. This last point brings us to one that towers far above all others, the requirement that minds should submit to the decrees of the positive preacher. We, we mentioned that before, but that just kind of summarizes mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, bottom of that page, about six lines up, quote, let it be clearly understood that he meant to take advantage of the current principle of unlimited freedom of thought to set forth a doctrine thanks to which he would later on subject on later on subject all minds to a continuous discipline as soon as the new social order had last been established. This reminds me of that famous saying, this is written to Erdogan of Turkey, but it says, yes, democracy is like a train. When it gets to where you want to get off. And that's what every ideological movement does. They take advantage of the freedoms of liberal societies, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and so on, when their direct aim is get themselves in power, and the first thing they do when they're in power is get rid of those freedoms. And back when I was a college student writing for a student newspaper, I was interviewing these Iranian Marxist-Leninists. This was, be, this was um, just at the time that the Shah was being pulled down from power and Khomeini's revolution was underway in Iran. And these guys were in a cell here in the United States of America, a Marxist-Leninist Iranian cell, to subvert American uh, ideas, foreign policy, whatever, from within, operating on university campuses. And this is what these guys actually told me to my face. We will use your freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of assembly to get power. And once we get power, we're going to take all these things away. To my face, they told me this. It's that unusual candor. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I get part of a page 247. Um, Again, we have John Stuart Mill here. So basically, Comte is making enemies amongst those people who, in some sense, were at least semi-allies. So that 10 lines up. Henceforth, man was to bow no more before God. Nothing higher than his own understanding was to solicit the free adherence of his faith, but he was to submit the depths of his being, the part by which he was most himself, to other men, and in matters that depend solely upon man. Fortunately, said John Stuart Mill, with a touch of humor, quote, mankind have not yet, that's six, which we has, but anyway, mankind have not yet been under the rule of one who assumes that he knows all that is to be known, and that when he has put himself at the head of humanity, the book of human knowledge may be closed. So again, it's John Stuart Mill, you know, really, that's, that, that to me is a damning put down of 
comp's position, basically. And Delubac continues, of a man, one might add, who concentrating the whole of, quote, spiritual power in his own person, has decreed once for all and for everyone that there are no mysteries and there's, it is one's duty to believe. Wow. I mean, how suffocating this is. Okay. Uh, on that same, now he's, he's at a second, a final section of section four, sociocracy. Are we, are we kind of up with our 30 minutes now, Thomas? Well, I don't think we can finish this chapter too easily. So let's, let's make next session a summary, conclusion of this summary, a uh, conclusion of Kant and this uh, section of the book before we go on to the next one, Dostoevsky's Prophet. All right. Thanks, everyone. God bless you all. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.